Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Of the Psalms, this Psalm, Psalm 22, rises above all of the rest with its connection to Jesus' passion. It is the Psalm that is quoted the most, more than any other Psalm in the New Testament. And we see that the Psalm describes Jesus' mistreatment at the hands of men, it describes his crucifixion, it describes his abandonment by God. This evening we consider portions of Psalm 22, verses 1 through 18, and then verses 26 through 31. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My groaning does nothing to save me. My God, I call out by day, but you do not answer. I call out by night, but there is no relief for me. Yet you are seated as the Holy One, praised by Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and they were rescued. They trusted in you and they were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They sneer, they shake their heads, they say, Trust in the Lord, let the Lord deliver him, let him rescue him if he delights in him. But you are the one who brought me out of the belly. You made me trust when I was at my mother's breasts. I, came, I was cast on you from the womb. From the belly of my mother, you have been my God. Do not be distant from me, for distress is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls from Bashan encircle me. Enemies open their mouths wide against me like a lion that tears its prey and roars. Like water I am poured out, all my bones are pulled apart. My heart has become like wax. It has melted in the middle of my chest. My strength is dried up like broken pottery, and my tongue is stuck to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. May he live in your hearts forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before you. For the kingdom belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will eat and bow down. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, descendants will serve him. For generations, people will, will be told about the Lord. They will come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet to be born, because he has done it. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed. 1,000 years, 1,000 years before these events occurred, they were foretold in explicit detail by God. How could that be? We might look at a portion of this psalm, especially that very first verse, and say, well, that one seems like it would be an easy one to fulfill. All the Messiah has to do is memorize these words from the very first verse of Psalm 22, and there he has it, a fulfillment of prophecy. But what about all of the rest? How difficult would that be to have fulfilled in the life of the Messiah? 
This evening, as we consider the words of Psalm 22, we consider this as our theme, God's redemption plan foretold. We'll see that this redemption plan attests to the validity of Scripture, but it also attests to God's love for you. I'd like you to take out your bulletin at this moment and turn to our psalm as it's laid out before you, and I'd like you to look at verses 6 through 8 of our psalm that was just read. I'd like to read those verses for you once again, verses 6 through 8. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They sneer. They shake their heads. They say, trust in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Let him rescue him if he delights in him. Keep your eyes on those verses. I'd like to read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. People who passed by kept insulting him, shaking their heads. The chief priests, experts in the law, and elders kept mocking him. They said, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. How could that be? How could that be that God knew exactly what they would say and what they would do at the foot of the cross as Jesus hung there dying? Was God controlling their words? Was God controlling their actions? No. Now look at verse 18. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. And again from Matthew 27. After they had crucified him, they divided his clothing among themselves by casting lots. How could God have known? How could he have known that's exactly what the soldiers would do? Jesus didn't whisper in their ear and say, you need to do these things to fulfill prophecy. No. God had seen into the future, a thousand years into the future, and he foretold it in this psalm, Psalm 22. But there's more. Look at verse 16. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Now what does this describe other than a crucifixion? As we think about men encircling another and they pierce his hands and his feet, what other purpose would there be for doing such things unless it was to crucify him? What's equally amazing is that crucifixion wasn't really invented until only 500 years before Jesus. The first recorded crucifixion occurred about 500 years before Christ. And it certainly wasn't popular at that time. And so what that means is that even 500 years before that, 500 years before crucifixion was even invented as a thing, God knew and God described it in his word. We stand in awe, don't we, of God. We stand in awe of what this means, of his foreknowledge, how he can see into the future and predict things with precision down to the finest detail. We understand what that means for us then concerning his word as well, that his word speaks the truth even concerning things that have not yet come, things that are going to happen in the future. As we are impressed by this psalm and how it foretells the events of Jesus' crucifixion, but may we also be impressed by this, God's love for us. God knew. God knew. He knew all of these events. 
and how they would take place before they happened. He knew that Jesus' arms would be stretched out on a cross. He knew that nails would would pierce them and, and pierce his feet. He knew that the crowds at the foot of the cross would shake their heads. He knew that the religious leaders would make fun of him. He knew that he would suffer. He knew that he would have to forsake his son. He knew that he would have to allow his son to endure hell itself on the cross. He knew 1,000 years in advance, and even before then, he knew. So why did he allow it to happen? God also knew, not just a 1,000 years beforehand, but even from eternity, what mankind would do. God knew as he created this world and as he gave mankind free will to obey God or to disobey God, he knew that mankind would choose to disobey and he knew the result, the wages of sin is death. And yet God knew a thousand years, no, from eternity, he knew what he would have to do to redeem us. We'd have to do to make satisfaction for our sin, to bring us to Him, because He knew what sin deserves. As the Apostle Paul records in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. He knew that mankind would come under a curse, and that's us. We are cursed because of our sin, because we have failed to do what God's law requires. But as Paul goes on, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Again, he foretells the the crucifixion. God foretells it well before even Psalm 22 was written. He foretells the price that would be paid to redeem us. There's a story told of a pastor by the name of A.J. Gordon who served a parish in Boston many, many years ago. And according to the story, he met a young boy who was playing outside of the church one day, and he had with him an old rusty birdcage. And inside, there were a number of birds. So the pastor came up to the young man, and he asked him, well, son, where did you get these birds? And he said, well, I I trapped them in the field. He said, well, what are you going to do with them? "Uh, I'll probably play with them, but eventually I'll probably feed them to the old cat which the pastor responded, could I buy them from you with the cage and all? The boy said, you don't want these birds. They're just regular old field birds. You don't want them. They're not worth anything. It's a foolish deal, pastor. The pastor said, I'll pay. He did. The boy gave him the cage and he ran off whistling the great deal that he had made. Later, the pastor took that cage and he went out behind the church and he opened up the door to the cage and he allowed the birds to go free and they flew up to the skies. That next Sunday, he decided to take the bird cage with him and he brought it into the pulpit and he had it on display and he told the story of the boy and he used it as an illustration how God seeks and saves the lost, how he desires to redeem even those that are lost. Now foolish it seems that that God would pay such a high price for something so worthless. Sinners like you and me, and yet he did. 
He paid the ultimate price, the greatest price that could be ever paid, the price of His Son, the Holy Son of God. He allowed His blood to be shed. And even worse than that, He allowed Him to suffer the hell that you and I deserve to redeem us. The pastor went on in his sermon to say this. He told the congregation that, that the boy said to him that they weren't really songbirds. And so, what use were they? The pastor said as he opened the door to the cage, as the birds flew away up to the heavens, he thought he heard their song, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. But also a beautiful illustration for us too, as we think of the song on our lips as well, in response to what God has done for us. And isn't that what we hear at the very end of our psalm for today, beginning at verse 26? Those who seek him will praise the Lord May he live in their hearts forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation will bow down before you. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, descendants will serve him. For generations, people will be told about the Lord. They will come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet to be born because he has done it. Because he has done what? Because he has paid the redemption price for you. That's why people will sing his praises. People who aren't able to keep themselves alive will sing his praises, will proclaim the name of the Lord because he has done this, because what he has recorded in this psalm, because his plan of redemption has been carried out for you and for me. You know, some wonder why this day is called Good Friday. It doesn't seem to be good, right? As we gather here, many dressed in black, as we focus on horrific things, a man crucified. But it is good. It is a good day, isn't it? Because it is the day on which our redemption was won, in which the payment was made, the blood of Christ for us. It's a day on which we can rejoice And praise God for all that he has done through his son. Yes, this psalm is impressive. It is impressive to consider how God knew a thousand years in advance all of the minute detail of what would happen on this day. Yet, let it be more amazing that he still went through with it, that he still carried out his plan of salvation out of his love for you. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. We continue with the offering. <clears throat> 